This is the New Blue Review with Benji Shulman. You're listening to 101.9 High FM. I'm Benji Shulman. This is the New Blue Review. Welcome to the program. Hope you are enjoying this Monday morning that we are going to be chatting to Rob Hutchinson from Dear South Africa about what is going on in Parliament in our Israel Bite feature. I'll be talking about some of the things that got reported on in the Sunday Times uh, over the weekend. After the break, we are going to be chatting to Alistair Anderson. He is our cultural vulturel, uh, and he is going to be talking us through some of the interesting issues that are facing culture in our society today. So do stay tuned. On the line, Alistair Anderson. He is a cultural critic and a man who follows the media very, very closely. Alistair, welcome to the show once again. Nice to have you back with us again on the show. Thanks for having me on, Benji. How are you doing? I'm doing fantastic. Thank you very much. Now, Alistair, of course, a lot of what people have been talking about in the last while has been Russia and Ukraine. And we have seen a little bit of a, a spin-off here in that it's affecting the cultural realm. What have you been seeing? Yeah, so well, quite amazingly, I guess, just as the attack started, there was a reaction in the sporting world very quickly. So we looked at the UEFA Champions League final, which is probably the most prestigious football match in European club football that was going to be hosted in Russia, but they've now moved it to Paris. They were already just after the attacks, they said they were, this is a problem and they, they're looking at it and yeah, within a couple of days they'd moved it. We've also seen the World Cup qualifiers are happening again for the Qatar World Cup um, at the end of this year and uh, a couple of teams don't want to play against the Russians. So the, the Polish actually said they don't mind being kicked out of the World Cup themselves as long as they don't have to play Russia. So. It's a lot of solidarity, I think, with Ukraine and you know, countries are making statements. Um, Sebastian Vettel from F1 said he didn't want to race the Russian Grand Prix and then they just cancelled the Grand Prix altogether. Um, and then we've, we saw Schalke 04, which is a German football club that's sponsored by Gazprom, you know, which is a, a gas giant group in Russia. It's like the ESCOM for gas. Um, they removed that from their shirts so they're playing without sponsors on their shirts so there's all kinds of signals you know that people are pissed off about this and then of course um just recently the eurovision song contest announced that russia is not participating they're basically banned from it it's very interesting coming on the heels of the winter olympics in china uh, we didn't see too much in the way of cultural expression about the chinese i saw one skater uh, did their skating to the song of uh, schindler's list i'm not sure if that was to make a political point or not but do you think we're going to start seeing sport internationally become sort of more geopolitically, more geopolitically affected yeah. Yeah, by what's going on? I do think so. Um, you know, this, this has been brewing for a while. I don't know if the UN and you know, Europe all actually believe that Putin would go ahead with it. You know, these things, things have been happening behind the scenes um, with pressure you know, between the countries. And they think about, yeah, I mean, how can they protest through sport, et cetera? We saw just with the Chinese Winter Olympics that a lot of people didn't want to send um, actual you know, presidents didn't want to go. Um, other authorities uh, didn't want to go. People who are senior in their sporting federations didn't want to go. So it was almost like a cold boycott, but it's, it didn't really look that effective, I think. But at the same time, it was the worst watched uh, Winter Olympics ever, so the, the lowest viewership. So I think the, the interesting thing is you kind of got to ascertain how big sport is, what sport is big, what sport isn't. Actually be an effective punishment or an effective protest. You know, I think that's what we're going to start seeing. Like, what is effective? Does Putin really care about 
football that much. I guess that his people do. And what's the interesting thing is that he didn't. You know, there was no Russia action on Ukraine during the Winter Olympics, and I think it's because the Russians are big fans of winter sport, and they're very much in. What, what I found quite entertaining was Finland beat Russia in the men's hockey final. It's the first time ever that Finland's won a gold medal, and Finland is ice hockey crazy. It's by far their biggest sport. And then literally a couple of days after that, we've got the bombings. So it's going to be an interesting world over the next few months. It seems like we, the world's been moving to this um, unhappy, uncomfortable geopolitical situation for a while. It's come just after COVID, I guess. And in a way, it signifies like, okay, COVID's over. Now we into some kind of Cold War situation. So talking about COVID being over, uh, as somebody told me the other day, in South Africa, the pandemic is over, but please still wear your mask. Uh, now that I think is probably true for 90% of the things that we're doing in South Africa. But concerts and sports, uh, particularly in stadiums, haven't quite caught up. You think we're going to be seeing a change around that sometime? I just think, as has been the case with, I suppose, our government, uh, we're relatively slow at reacting or very, very cautious. You know, I always said that I think the SA government's initial reaction to COVID was very good um, because we really didn't know what, what was coming. We didn't know how severe it was going to be. And we, we realized the vulnerabilities of people in South Africa. But yeah, it just doesn't seem that the spawning bodies have completely like made a decision on what they want to do. But I, I know they're waiting for president to kind of, you know, make a ruling or they're waiting for a family meeting or some kind of signal. But it's interesting. I mean, you know, we've had people come and visit for cricket tests and the like, but then there's no, you can't actually go to the actual game itself. So you can watch it on TV. So they play an empty stadium, which is never good for sport. It really detracts from your performance. Um, so I do think that as we kind of shift into, I suppose, the winter sports here in South Africa, you will have um, people allowed, you know, spectators will be allowed back in stadium. What's interesting also is that we were trying to push this vaccine rollout. It really seems like it's kind of died down. You don't see it in press so much anymore. There are still kind of incentives for people to get vaccinated from, you know, places like pick and pay and the like, but it's gone a bit quiet. You know, our vaccine isn't very high, but maybe just because we seem to have some kind of immunity and cases already just dropping and the people that are dying in hospitals are the ones who aren't vaccinated. So that's generally, I think, where it'll sit. So yeah, maybe the sporting bodies will do something soon, you know, for tours, global tours, just bring in tourism, which you really need. And then, of course, you've got um, concerts and music and arts events, which are actually starting to happen. So there, there's a number of musical festivals that will be happening around Easter time. That's, you know, big for music fest in South Africa. And it seems like they're all going ahead. Um, I haven't actually seen much advertising about vaccines around them. So I don't know if they, they probably will have things like, you know, you bring a vaccine certificate, an SMS or PCR test on the day. But even, I mean, I was at a club in Cape Town back in December and they were asking for that stuff you know, at 11 at night or one in the morning. Um, but I saw the other day on their Facebook page that it stopped. So yeah, it just seems like there's very much uh, people on COVID scared at the moment. Very, very interesting indeed. We're talking to our cultural correspondent, Alistair Anderson. You're listening to 101.9 High FM. This is the New Blue Review with Benji Shulman. 101.9 High FM. I'm Benji Shulman. This is the New Blue Review. And we're talking to our cultural correspondent, Alistair Anderson, just because the pandemic may potentially, perhaps, we hope, be on the way out, doesn't mean people are not watching uh, Netflix. And uh, I see a sort of local, in terms of the program, not, not local so much, but I suppose it was sort of Israeli, Tinder star uh, broke out, or Netflix star, the Tinder swindler, 
created a real big hype and has seemed to have turned into a whole genre. Uh, lots of other Tinder swindlers are out there, it seems. Yeah, so that, that really was an overnight success for Netflix. I guess they planned it like that because it's such a crazy story, but it's getting viewed so much. It's It comes across as a little bit tabloidy, I suppose. It's you know it's, it, it's not super brain power to watch Tinder swindler, and I think everyone can relate to it because everybody you know wants to fall in love. So I, I think just the listeners maybe don't know, basically there was a guy from Israel who was conning women to give him money so he could kind of live this lavish lifestyle and then he basically borrow money against the other women kind of thing so he'd borrow money from her to get a loan and then borrow from someone else to pay off the loan and um he was caught yeah it's been like an internet sensation he is he's not in jail now not really charged with anything but it's he's full of memes um we just find it very entertaining and then there's all other kinds of like shows about dating apps where you know, you you vulnerable and you get in trouble or there's something criminal. There's like inventing Anna's another one. There seems to be like a new genre talking about, I suppose, scam artists, cyber artists, you know, that scam you, fraud, stuff around dating. Uh, how do people now live in this like cyber world? And I suppose if we move to the metaverse, we're going to see all kinds of fraud again, you know, and, and how safe are your children when they're like playing Fortnite? And against people that they don't know from overseas and the whole these people are, they could kind of influence them to do things, send them money, meet them, et cetera, et cetera. So the, the world's a kind of scary place from that. And we really need people to protect our information and protect each other. There's some horrifying stories even be- before Twinder Swindler. I remember reading something about something called Slender Man, which uh, had convinced some kids, some anonymous person on the internet had convinced some kids to commit some pretty horrendous crimes just because... Uh, he had met them on the internet. What I found remarkable was that the Tinder swindler seems to have passed himself off as some sort of like Russian billionaire and booked out planes and fancy hotels. It's like all the effort that he put into putting the scam together, it was really like, well done. Like the guy put a lot of effort into what he was doing. I'm sure he could have created like a very legitimate business for all the time that he was doing, trying to, you know, get rid of people on Tinder. Look, I think he's a master sociopath. So He's been doing this for a number of years, and he's kind of created this whole thing. So, you know, it's the age-old adage that you never get away with it forever. These things catch up with you. And I think that's what's happened here. He says he's innocent. He's going to proclaim his innocence. And the scary thing is that some people just believe him. So you just got to be careful, I think. It's the same thing with Tiger King. I think we've got to be careful um, who we actually promote in society, who we who we give that right of res- you know response to and the like. So we don't create these like cult icons or dangerous people that for some reason we like them because it's nice to watch the bad guy win kind of thing because we think we live in a movie. It's a very, very interesting phenomenon. Uh, and we were talking about uh, Russia and uh, some European geopolitics. Uh, Netflix also... If you're looking for something a bit more serious, has some of that uh, on the side. Munich, the edge of war, which is about the carving up of the Czechoslovakian state by Hitler and the Allied powers before before the of World War Two. Yeah, so that's that's just come out. It's got a German cast, a European cast, which is very interesting. It's got you know characters like Neville Chamberlain in it and his brother. And I think what, what's interesting is that. A lot of people have maybe forgotten about this history because you know, it's more than 100 years ago. But it's nice to revisit it and just see what happened because and always just analyze it from different angles. I mean, we've done so well in the past of looking at World War One and Two, And now that we're sitting in this situation now with Russia, it's always good to look back in history at what happened and how we don't want this to happen again. You know, World War Three, we really don't want it. And obviously, they're sitting with the kind of weapon power that could wipe out humanity and it could be very quick. I have to say, one of the things that's interesting me about Netflix at the moment is the amount of effort that they're going to put into local productions in, in different countries, right? If you wanted to watch a foreign film, 
for instance, or just never mind foreign, anything that wasn't American. You used to have to wait for an embassy to put on a film festival and, and go and see it. But with Netflix, they really are doing, I think, quite a good job of bringing up great local stories at high production values. I mean, we saw what happened with the octopus teacher but you know it doesn't have to be all quite so cerebral netflix really does allow uh, these sort of quite quality productions and sometimes you do have to wade through a lot of muck it's true but it's it's, it's an in, it is an interesting phenomenon for for film that isn't american yeah i think it's it's almost a democratization of of film and media i suppose and the fact that people are now getting access to audiences through netflix so you can make a project in you know the netherlands and you can get quite a good budget because you get a lot of viewers or can make a project in like you know italy or like sicily or something like that or even israel and people actually watch it and um, because it's got that global reach because people are now saying oh i'm actually quite interested in what happens in asia i'm interested in what happens in south america or south africa and i, I want to see authentic stories told by people from there and that's why we you know we've got netflix kind of pushing for people to write stuff and send it to them and then maybe I'll bring a production crew and you'll have like Matt Damon in your movie, but it was still, you know, South Africans and it'll still, I mean, it'll still be filmed here. So Yo, do you think that yeah. that might be why, was it Tom Cruise who was hanging out in the Kruger the other day? Uh, he's filming um, part of the new Mission Impossible. Yeah. So it's not a Netflix production, the new Mission Impossible, but interestingly, yeah, they've chosen to film it here. Look, I think when you've made like seven, eight movies, you're looking for new um, places that the world hasn't seen. We can make things look like anything. You know, Cape yep. Town can look like anywhere in the world. Yeah, absolutely. So South Africa does get used for a set. So who knew that Mission Impossible was now doing a, a whole a whole basic thing around getting over the Mozambican border and into South Africa? It's not even such a Mission Impossible, actually. But uh, anyway, it'll be interesting to see what they do with it. Al, if people want to check out your cultural criticisms and stuff you're writing, where can they where can they see it? So I'm running for Asset Magazine, and they can catch me on Facebook. I'm on Twitter, and then, yeah, I'm going to be posting a lot of articles links to articles on there great so you check it out that's alistair anderson l thank you so much for joining us and i hope to speak to you again soon thanks benji thanks have a great week alistair anderson there talking to us about what is hot and interesting in the cultural sphere